coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz War Report. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Our guest today is not feeling very gay about the latest Supreme Court ruling regarding same-sex marriage. He feels that the ruling is a significant setback for Americans who believe in the Constitution, the rule of law, and marriage itself, which according to him is and should only be a union of one man and one woman. He's a senior research fellow at the Heritage Foundation and is the author of the new book called Truth Overruled, The Future of Marriage and Religious Freedom. His name is Ryan Anderson. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, good to have you, sir. So tell me, what's your beef with same-sex marriage? Sure. I mean, I think that the Supreme Court, I mean, the problem there is that the Supreme Court issued an activist decision that had no basis in the Constitution. Mm. Uh, So the court usurped our role as citizens to define marriage for public policy. My concern about uh, same-sex marriage itself is that redefining marriage uh, changes the institution of marriage. Um, It says it's more about the desires of adults Mm. than about the needs or the rights of children. And so that in the long run, it will cause harm to the institution of marriage. It will further destabilize marriage. Um, it will decrease the number of children who are being raised by their married mom and dad. You also said that it's a setback for Americans who believe in the Constitution, the rule of law, the democratic self-government, and marriage as a whole. Why the Constitution? Sure. Well, you know, our Constitution is silent about what marriage is. Mm. Uh, it doesn't tell us if marriage is a gendered institution, a union of sexual complementary spouses, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. That's right. Or it is doesn't. marriage a genderless institution, a union of any two consenting adults? Right. And where the Constitution is silent, those issues are left to the people. We, the people, make laws where the Constitution doesn't already provide an answer. Right. So the problem with this court's ruling is that they just inserted their own preferences and then said the Constitution requires them. Five unelected judges decided that they know better than the rest of society. Well, the whole purpose of it being silent is so that it gives us room to maneuver in society as we progress, I would think. Sure. I mean, the entire idea here is that we, the people, would update with our own new insights into marriage, not Justice Kennedy's new insights into marriage. Mm. So you're right. As we progress, our Constitution is meant for people to update it, to uh, put in the new insights that they see in marriage, Mm. but not for these judges to do it unilaterally without the input of the people. Well, let's let's, uh, start with, do you believe that the gay community should be given equal rights in in civil life? in civil life and in religious life? Of course, everyone should have equal rights. Mm. Um, But marriage isn't a question about rights. I mean, before we get to the question about equal protection under the law or any sort of a civil right discussion, we have to have a question about what's the nature of marriage. Because only if you know what marriage is Mm -hmm. can you then say whether or not any given public policy is violating equality or violating rights. That's Mm. the problem with the slogan of marriage equality. We're all for marriage equality. We just have a disagreement about what type of relationship is a marriage. But then if we're against gay marriage, then there is no such thing as marriage equality then, is there? Well, no. I mean, there is marriage equality. Marriage equality is saying that the law should treat all marriages equally. Mm. But to know uh, what As long as they're heterosexual marriage, though. Well, no, as long as they're marriage. I mean, so the, the question here is what sort of relationship is a marriage? And so some people want to argue that marriage is just about consenting adult romance, and it's unclear why they say it's a union of two and only two people. So John Roberts, in his dissenting opinion, the chief justice, mm. asks Justice Kennedy, you keep saying twosomes, but why? 
if marriage is just about consenting adult romance and caregiving, why are you limiting it to twosomes? Are you denying marriage equality to threesomes or foursomes, to polyamorous relationships, to polygamous relationships? Kennedy didn't even respond to that criticism. Um, so only if you know what marriage is can you say whether or not any given policy violates marriage equality. I do not think that a marriage policy that recognizes marriage as the union of a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, violates equality because I think that reflects the truth about marriage. And that's why you know, I think what the court just did was that they overruled the truth. Um, the idea here is that they decided that they know better than what we the people know marriage to be. But then you don't believe in a marriage between a man and a man. Well, I mean, I, yeah, so I don't think a same-sex relationship is a marriage. Is this a war of words? I mean, is it a tomato as opposed to a tomato? Um, because is it the fact that gays can be unionized, but they cannot use the word marriage? Is that what is the core of the issue here? I don't know if that's the core of the issue. That's certainly part of the issue. I mean, mm -hmm. part of the issue is whether or not the institution of marriage has a structure to it. Um, is marriage whatever it is we want it to be? And so is marriage the type of thing that we can define and redefine willy-nilly? Or is marriage built into human nature? You know, is marriage, you know, is there an anthropological truth that men and women are distinct and complementary? Is there a biological fact that reproduction requires both a man and a woman? Is there a social reality that children deserve a mom and a dad? I happen to think all of those things are true. Mm. And when you combine that anthropological truth, that biological fact, that social reality, that's how you get marriage policy about uniting a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. If you deny those truths, then you just say, oh, well, every consenting adult relationship is the same, and therefore every consenting adult relationship should be treated by the government as a marriage. But what we currently have is an arbitrary marriage policy. Justice Kennedy's decision right now is just an arbitrary act of will, not of judgment. But if two gay people wanted to get or formalize their relationship for life uh, and, 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 and have it recognized by the nation and recognized by God, and they gave it a different name, would you still have an issue with that? So if we had uh, civil unions, for example, um, provided that they weren't predicated on kind of... A civil union that's religiously blessed. How about well, that? Well, that's going to be up to the houses of worship. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's the role of the government to tell Orthodox Jews what sort of unions they should be blessing. You okay. know, so Reformed Jews seem to be in favor of same-sex marriage. Orthodox Jews seem to be against it. And I think in America, with religious liberty, mm. we say those institutions get to decide their theology and their... Uh, understanding of marriage for themselves. As a matter of public policy, if we had um, a civil unions regime, it would raise the same question of what type of union is going to be recognized and why. Um, so would it be a monogamous, permanent, exclusive same-sex relationship? And if so, why not um, multi-partner relationships? And why not temporary relationships? And why not sexually open relationships. Anytime you're going to have the government uh, regulate something, which ultimately marriage is about regulating an adult relationship, you need to be able to explain why the government is regulating that entity in that way. So in your world, what would be the truth about marriage? Sure, I think marriage is a comprehensive union. What is, what is a, I mean, that's such a technical... 
answerable. What is a comprehensive spouses. union? Sure. It unites spouses at all levels of their uh, personhood. So it's a union of hearts, minds, and bodies. And so it unites a man and a woman comprehensively um, in an act that can then create new life, which creates a comprehensive good of a new human being, mm. and then requires comprehensive commitments, a comprehensive commitment throughout time, that pledge of permanent commitment, and then a comprehensive commitment at every moment in time of an exclusive commitment. And so this really makes marriage different than more or less every other relationship. No other relationship that we know of is about uniting in this comprehensive way with another person, about creating new life with another person, about being permanent and exclusively committed with another person. I mean, just think of all of your other friendships, your business relationships. None of them are permanent, monogamous, exclusive. None of them are meant to be creating and raising children. This is what makes marriage different. And that's why the state really should treat it as a unique relationship. But isn't that a sterile definition of marriage? Because I just thought it was about falling in love and, and moving forward. Well, if it's only about falling in love and moving forward... As one, uh, when two people well, become one. But why two? I mean, I guess I would ask the question of why, why, why can only two people fall in love and move forward? Why can't three? And why does the government care about your love? I'd love to, but my wife would be upset. But what if your wife wasn't upset? I mean, so there, 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 New York Magazine has profiled several uh, thruples. Mm. Uh, thruple is a term they use to describe a three-person couple. Okay. And the idea here is it's three people who love each other. They live with each other. They cook meals for each other. They want to visit each other in the hospital. They want to have a joint checking account. Uh, Sam Alito, Justice Alito, raised this question during oral arguments, and the lawyers didn't have a good response to it. His question was, on your definition of marriage, people who fall in love and want to move together together mm. – they have a marriage. Why don't they? And there was no response to that. But it raises a more fundamental question. If that's all that marriage is, why is the state in your bedroom? Why is the state in the marriage business if it's just about falling in love and moving forward? Well, you call this judicial activism, right? Without a doubt. Because what, 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 what does it mean? What, what do you mean by activism? Sure. I mean, a, 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 an activist decision is a decision that has no basis in our nation's constitution, um, its original public meaning, binding precedent, uh, where it's really just decided on the judge's personal philosophy. And you saw this in the Supreme Court case here that Justice Kennedy just gave his own personal philosophy about what marriage is. Mm. It wasn't tied in anything about the 14th Amendment, about the original meaning of the 14th Amendment, about the logic of the 14th Amendment, about the history of the 14th Amendment. It wasn't based on anything that we, the people, had decided. It was simply based on what Justice Kennedy had decided. Um, his own, he used the phrase, new insights into marriage were. What did he mean by new insights? He was saying that he had had, or society had had, when he was speaking in kind of the royal we, mm -hmm. new insights into marriage, that it was no longer about uniting a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father, that it was now about consenting adult romance and caregiving. I don't know whether or not society has had those new insights. If they are having those new insights, those need to be expressed at a ballot box. Um, those sorts of new insights can't simply be declared to be part of the Constitution. Did he mean new sensitivities that, you know, in the interest of diversity, we need to be sensitive about this? Well, the way that you would decide what, what policy is most sensitive is by allowing lawmakers, legislators, to make public policy, not having judges redefine the institution, because there are competing sensitivities here. Um, Justice Kennedy not once acknowledged 
the arguments that the state made to defend their laws, um, that children need a mom and a dad, that even children who have been raised by loving gay couples say that they love their two moms, they love their two dads, but they wish they would have had both a mom and a dad. And several of these children, now adults, now grown up and married themselves, mm. filed an amicus brief saying redefining marriage creates an institution for missing parents. And that's why they urged the court not to redefine marriage. The judges have no greater insight into this than you do or than I do. And that's why we the people and our elected representatives should have been the one making these decisions, not unelected judges. So you felt that the, the actual decision should have gone out to the people? Yeah, that we were... In, having, a, in an ideal world? Well, in our actual world, not just in an ideal world. In okay. our actual world, Americans were having a national discussion about what marriage is and why marriage matters. Right. And so what, what I point out in this new book is that the court just cut it short. The court just cut short that discussion, and now it raises all sorts of questions about the future of marriage and the future of religious freedom. You know, what will happen after the Supreme Court's decision to citizens who continue to believe the truth about marriage, this is the union of a man and a woman? How do we work out our democratic disagreements when we don't allow the democratic process to function? The court cut this short. You see, here's the thing. Um, I agree with you in principle in terms of, you know, decisions need to be taken by the people. Uh, but here's the thing. I've had gay people on my show. They, they keep stressing that being gay is not a choice for them, okay? That's one. Secondly, the LGBT community is, is still a minority. Um, at the same time, the whole of America, in principle, believe in equal rights. But if the majority of Americans felt that the gays should not have same-sex marriage... We then diminish what we think are the whole concept of equal rights. That could be an argument that was pre would be presented to you. What would you say to that? Sure, that if I thought that marriage was, in fact, a genderless institution, mm. and so we were just excluding gays and lesbians from it for no good reason, that would be denying them rights. But marriage isn't a genderless institution, and there are good reasons uh, why it is and ought to remain a union of male and female. And the judges did nothing to engage those reasons. Justice Kennedy systematically ignored the arguments that people had put forth. I, I filed an amicus brief. Justice Clarence Thomas cited my amicus brief in his dissenting opinion. Justice Anthony Kennedy ignored those arguments. Two years ago when marriage was at the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Sam Alito cited a previous book that I had written. He cites it twice to say these are the arguments for marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Justice Kennedy ignores those arguments. So it's not even as if we had an honest discussion about this at the Supreme Court. What we had were activist judges who imposed their own ideology hmm. on the entire nation and ignored the counterargument. But, you know, you're, you're criticizing the judicial setup because it doesn't suit maybe your outlook. But what if they decided against gay marriage? You wouldn't have the same complaint then, would you? Well, no, because had they decided against uh, same-sex marriage, all they would have done hmm. is said that, we the people have to decide on it. They wouldn't be striking down same-sex marriage laws. They would say that the Constitution is silent on this issue, and so we have to decide it democratically. It wouldn't be as if they were imposing traditional marriage on the entire nation. They simply would have said, we have to keep deciding this through the democratic process. You also say that it should not have been mandated to all 
50 states. Now, here's my thing. Having just one state or a couple of states approve of gay marriage, I mean, isn't that the utmost in prejudice and bias? It should be all or nothing. Well, no, I would say that this is the beauty of federalism. Uh, the beauty of federalism is that it allows for the laboratories of democracy to figure out what is the best public policy. Uh, so some states are high-tax states. Some states are low-tax states. Some states have lots of government-run social services. Mm. Some states have lots of privately-run social services. And we can then experiment and see which states work best. Texas is not California, is not New York State. Right? Those three states. But what are you looking West, for that's going to work best in, in, in a marriage, whether it's gay or not gay? So what we're going to see over time is mm. whether or not states that have redefined marriage have their marriage rates drop. Preliminary evidence shows that the U.S. states that have redefined marriage and the European nations that have redefined marriage have had their marriage rates drop precipitously. Right, but then, but then I mean, so many heterosexual marriages are getting divorced. Does that mean we, we, we stop marriage now? Well, it's a question of what sort of public policy best serves the common good. And if you change the nature of marriage, so I agree with you, there's too much divorce in the United States. That might be a reason to reconsider what we did 40 years ago with no-fault divorce. We changed the nature of marriage. It was a union that was expected to be permanent, mm -hmm. and you could only file for divorce under certain conditions. With the introduction of no-fault divorce, we said you could now divorce your spouse for any reason at all. In fact, you could divorce your spouse for no reason. You didn't even have to cite grounds for the divorce. Is that what no-fault divorce means? Yes, that is what no-fault divorce does. You don't have to cite fault. There's nothing like this in other aspects of contract law. And so as a result, we've seen the divorce rates more than double. Uh, so I go through a lot of this uh, in, in the new book explaining that it's not as if same-sex marriage is the only concern. Um, the concern here is getting the truth about marriage enshrined in law, because only when the law is reflecting the truth can it serve the common good. And any time the law deviates from the truth, you can expect to see poor outcomes. And that's exactly what's taking place right now. Well, I like the fact that you're saying that redefining marriage promotes the lie that mothers and fathers are interchangeable, which obviously, you know, they're not. But... Is marriage about fathers and mothers, or is it about husband and wife? Well, it's about both. Um, so marriage has always been both about the adults involved and the children involved. And the reason the government's taking an interest in marriage is to see a man and a woman unite as husband and wife to then become mother and father. That when this doesn't happen, that's when social costs run high. Look at the neighborhoods in the United States that have strong, intact, married families, and look at the neighborhoods that don't. And then compare what is the reality in terms of crime, in terms of juvenile delinquency, in terms of the schools, in terms of the employment rates for young males in particular, graduation rates, pregnancy rates, and compare what happens to children who were raised by their married mother and father and what happens to children who aren't. That explains why the government takes an interest in marriage in the first place. Do you, have any, do you have any research that gives us an idea of what, how kids turn out to be under same-sex marriage or same-sex parents? Yes. So we have preliminary research right now that mm. shows that mothers and fathers aren't interchangeable. They're not replaceable. Okay. And that children who are raised by two moms or two fathers um, do not turn out on average, as well as children who are raised by both a mother and a father. Um, there have been several studies now 
that have used large random representative samples uh, that show that family structure really makes a difference. And that the family structure that produces the best outcome for kids is the married biological mother and father relationship. How are these kids under same-sex marriage not turning out so well? What, 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 in, in what way, shape, or form? Sure, it'll be things uh, in terms of like graduation rates, uh, things in terms of um, mental illness or psychological uh, 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 disturbances. Uh, it's those sorts of metrics um, mm. that these uh, studies look at. So do you actually go out and identify kids that have same-sex parents? So what I do in the book is I do two things. Mm. One is I report on some of this social science. Um, so I look at what the uh, professors, the academics have done. Mm. Uh, you know, I quote those studies and I present uh, that data. And then in the second uh, uh, portion of that particular chapter, I tell some of the stories of children who have been raised by same-sex couples. Now, these children um, that have come from same-sex parents, are these adopted kids? Sometimes it's through adoption. Sometimes it's through a previous heterosexual relationship uh, mm. that then broke down and then uh, started in a same-sex relationship. Um, you know, as we know, a same-sex couple, you know, it's, uh, it won't naturally result in a child. Right. Uh, so every child that's being raised by a same-sex uh, couple will either be the result of assisted reproductive technology or the result of adoption hmm. or the result of a prior uh, heterosexual relationship. And you know, those are the three uh, vehicles that, that um, result in same-sex parenting. Right. But the majority come from where, these kids? Uh, there's no real good. I mean, right now, I would say probably the majority, based on uh, the evidence right now, would be from prior heterosexual relationships and, and from adoption. Uh, that the surrogacy and the uh, assisted reproductive technology currently is probably the minority. Um, though expectations are that that uh, will increase over time as more uh, same sex married couples uh, seek to have a child, quote, of their own. But then when you say that these kids are not doing well under the same-sex marriage, could it be that it was the breakup of the heterosexual relationship that actually caused the, um, I guess, lack of uh, academic well-being? That's a possibility. Um, I, I, I don't think that's going to be um, proven true in the long run because what we know from the uh, social science literature so far is that biology matters, gender matters, and stability matters. So we know that having a biological connection with the child matters and that no same-sex couple is going to have a dual biological relationship with the child. Uh, we also know that gender matters, that there's no such thing as parenting. There's mothering and there's fathering, that moms and dads interact with children in distinct and complementary ways and that no same-sex relationship will have both mothers and fathers raising a child. And then lastly, there's the question about stability, and that's mm. the point that you bring up. And so it's, a, uh, it's an open question right now of um, the stability issue, but we know that both biology and gender won't be there. Um, so we have two strikes, and then the open question is, well, will the same-sex relationships be as stable as opposite-sex relationships? Or are there differences in the structure of a double female and a double male relationship? You see, the thing is, your critics might say, well, just because a same-sex relationship have trouble doesn't mean because it's a same-sex issue. Um, heterosexuals have trouble in their relationships as well, as evidenced by the high divorce rates. Oh, yeah. No one is denying that their marriage has been in crisis for a while. Mm. In fact, the, the, the central thesis 
of this book is that same-sex marriage isn't the cause of the breakdown in the marriage culture. It's a symptom, but it's a symptom that will make things worse. Um, that redefining marriage, Justice Kennedy redefining marriage, could only take place when it did because of the 40 years of the sexual revolution and the damage that it did to the marriage culture. So it's only after the increase in non-marital childbearing and the increase in no-fault divorce and all of the other kind of social problems that result from that that we then can have today the judicial redefinition of marriage. So gays and lesbians didn't cause these problems, but redefining marriage will accelerate these problems. It'll be like adding gasoline to a fire. It'll make the breakdown of the marriage culture not better, but worse. Are we redefining marriage or are we just expanding it to one and all? Well, we're certainly not expanding it to one and all. If we were expanding it to one and all, we would be including polygamous relationships and polyamorous relationships. Well, isn't that, other. do you think that's yet to come? Well, that's an open question. We saw in the dissent uh, from the Supreme Court justices who disagreed with Justice Kennedy, they said, look, you haven't even provided any rationale for why you're limiting this ruling to two and only two uh, consenting adults. You know, a consenting adult romance can come in other sizes and shapes. So why are you placing this arbitrary restriction. But I would say that what's most important here is that the law actually wrestle with the nature of marriage. Um, and we don't arbitrarily say that it's simply about adult romantic caregiving. So, so I mean, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out, if, if they had a civil union, would it still be an issue? You know, hopefully it wouldn't have been. That's what California tried to do. Uh, mm. California created civil unions for same-sex couples, and then their courts struck down that and law. And, you know, they have the same rights. Uh, All the same rights and benefits. And then Proposition 8 was struck down. Um, so California tried to create that compromise solution that you're talking about. Mm. And once again, activist judges said no. Um, so the citizens were trying to find a way of living and let living, you know, a live and let live solution. And uh, unfortunately, that was not allowed to proceed. In your ideal world, what would you have liked to see happen that you think the LGBT community would have been equally happy and everyone got what they want? In an ideal world, what would you think you would have done? Well, I mean, what I would have done if I was on the court, I would have said this needs to be solved democratically. This is not up uh, to five unelected judges. This is up to the American people to decide what marriage is and what it ought to be. Um, and and, and, and if, the, if, the, if the ballot came out saying they're in favor of it? Sure. Then we respect the democratic process, and we work to educate our neighbors as to why they got it wrong. Uh, democracy doesn't always guarantee good outcomes, but it is a process through which citizens can work to work to produce the best outcome. And if you lose one election, you work to persuade your neighbors um, to better understand what the truth about marriage is, why it matters. Uh, why it needs to be one man and one woman. Well, then there are two things going on. One is the democratic process that you have an issue with. And, and, and secondly, um, you personally believe that marriage is between one man and one woman. Sure. So I think there's a... So if the democratic question. process worked against your favor, do you then amend your belief in that marriage is between one man and one woman? No, of course not. If the democratic process goes against what I believe, I work to better educate my neighbors so that they will vote better in the future. Mm. Um, so there are no permanent victories, there are no permanent defeats in politics. 
Uh, and what you do is you try to persuade them. That's the entire point of writing a book. It's to make an argument mm. so that you can persuade your neighbors to better understand the nature of the argument and the truth of the outcome here. Um, so what we're trying to do here is to say that the courts shut down that process prematurely, and we're working now to uh, restore constitutional authority to citizens to make good marriage policy and in the meantime to protect their religious freedom to live out uh, the truth about marriage without government coercion. You know, in all of this, uh, I like sometimes to bring things down to a very personal level. Uh, you know, when we focus on, on, on marriage, you know, I remember when I was getting married, um, it was all about falling in love and just wanting to be with each other. Uh, I never thought that much about kids. I mean, obviously, you know, that, that was part of the conversation. But it really was about desire, about desire to be together, desire to share a life, desire to enjoy each other, build a new life together. Um, but you say that, you know, marriage makes the relationship more about the desires of adults than about the needs of children. Well, I'm inclined to agree with you in the beginning that, you know, when I was getting together with my wife, it was about her and me. Well, marriage has traditionally been about both. I mean, I, I think you're artificially um, cutting this down to be one or the other. Uh, the, the idea here is that marriage is supposed to be both about the adults who are entering into it, but it's not simply about them. It's not solely about them. Uh, that well, no, I'm not being artificial about it. I was being very real about it because that was my initial feeling when I was getting together with my girlfriend who was to become my wife. We really didn't talk that much about children after we got married. And then, you know, once you uh, have the familiarity of, of, of being with another person, you then decide, okay, now how do we get into the next phase? You know, we took it in phases. Sure. I mean, uh, if, if that's your uh, uh, narrative there, uh, I'm not going to, you know, challenge that in any way. Mm. I think what's most important is for people to understand um, that there is kind of a sequencing to life. Uh, you said you took it in uh, stages, and it's important that you took those stages in that order. Uh, right now, 40% of all children <laughs> are being born to single mothers. That's right. And so one of the things that we need to help uh, educate our neighbors about mm. is the importance of that sequence of you get married before you have children. Um, but one of the things that viewing marriage as simply about your adult romantic life is it disconnects the connection between marriage and children. But then if you can't have children, does that mean you cannot marry? Of course not. No one's ever suggested that either. I mean, the infertility objection is one of those objections that only someone who hasn't really thought about the nature of marriage would raise. The state's interest in marriage doesn't mean that every marriage has to produce a child, but it is a recognition of the fact that every child is the result of a male-female relationship. Mm -hmm. and so marriage tr policy tries to get male-female relationships to be permanent, stable, and exclusive, to be a monogamous, permanent, uh, exclusive union, precisely so that any children that are created will have both a mom and a dad. So you think it should be equal weight, that marriage is about love and the well-being of children, obviously? Yep. It has to be about both. You also say that the marriage reflects the truth, that it unites a man and a woman. I agree. Is that truth based on tradition only because tradition is not always right? Could tradition have got it wrong? Sure. Well, this isn't about 
uh, tradition at all. Mm. Uh, this is about philosophy. This is about human nature. Uh, this is about thinking critically about what it means to be male and female and about the capacity of male and female to unite and to create new life and about what are the rights of the most vulnerable amongst us. What are the rights uh, that children have mm. uh, with respect to having both a mother and a father? Um, this isn't about tradition. It's not about history. It's really about reflecting on basic truths of human nature. In the presidential campaign, are any of the candidates have a similar line of thought as you do about the whole uh, judicial setup? You know, I haven't looked, but I think several of the um, uh, nominees or potential nominees, those who are now you know, candidates for the Republican nomination, mm -hmm. have more or less expressed this same argument about marriage and about religious freedom. Now your book, Truth Overrule, The Future of Marriage and Religious Freedom. What inspired you to write it? Sure. I mean, so I had written a previous book, uh, co-authored with a classmate of mine at Princeton and a professor of ours at Princeton, mm. where we just tried to lay out um, the best secular argument for marriage as the union of a man and a woman. Um, I could then see during the past year or so that Anthony Kennedy was going to issue an activist decision redefining marriage. And so I got to work thinking, what do we do next? If Justice Kennedy in fact overrules the truth about marriage, right. what do we do? And so I started writing this book uh, months ago uh, with the expectation that if Kennedy rules at the end of June this way, I would make the necessary revisions. Um, I would have to then uh, write the actual chapter analyzing his opinion, but that everything else would already be ready to go. Thank God it went the way you didn't want. And unfortunately, right, I mean, unfortunately, Kennedy did the wrong thing, but he did the expected thing. You know, he did what people were expecting him to do, although that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Mm. Uh, so what I try to do in this new book is explain, one, why Kennedy got it wrong. You know, the title is Truth Overruled. Right. So I explain what the truth about marriage is and how he overruled that truth. And then the subtitle, The Future of Marriage and Religious Freedom. You know, I go through how do we rebuild a strong marriage culture and how do we prevent government discrimination of those who believe that marriage is the union of a man and a woman? Because already we've seen bakers and florists and photographers, Catholic charity adoption agencies, uh, faith-based schools have all come under fire one way or another from government agencies because of their belief that marriage is the union of husband and wife. And they've been fined, right? Like the, the uh, baker and the florist because they wouldn't serve uh, gay marriages? Correct. I mean, so, so in one case it was uh, $135,000 mm. for an evangelical uh, baker in the state of Oregon who her only offense was she declined to bake a wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. Um, she had no problem serving gay and lesbian customers. Her only objection was to help celebrate what she viewed as a lie about marriage. And in a free society, we don't have the government uh, coerce these people. In a free society, we say live and let live. But on one end, you're saying that they were rightfully punished. Is that what you're saying? No, not at all. I don't think the government has any role whatsoever in coercing the baker, the florist, the photographer, the Catholic charity adoption agencies, the evangelical college, that all of these groups should be free to be faithful to their beliefs without government coercion. But isn't that discrimination just in another way? You could have restrooms for whites only. Well, and if... if, if, if uh, at, at what point do you say that this is a discrimination and this is freedom of choice? You see, that's where 
it starts to get vague. Well, if, if, if being male and female was similar to race, that would be like having whites-only bathrooms. Uh, but we don't have whites-only bathrooms anymore, and we still have male bathrooms and female bathrooms. Mm. I mean, I think the underlying logical problem with that argument is that it assumes precisely what's at issue. Whether or not being created male and female is the same thing as skin color. And there's a reason why we still have men's room and women's room. We still have, you know, boys' bathroom and girls' bathrooms, boys' locker room and girls' locker rooms. But we don't have anything for black and white. It's that race is utterly irrelevant to the nature of our embodiment um, as human beings, and it's utterly irrelevant to the nature of marriage as the union of sexually complementary spouses. So marriage law has to be colorblind. It can't take race into account. But it, it can't be gender blind because marriage is precisely about uniting the two halves of humanity, hmm. male and female. But if your critics were to say you're choosing who and what to discriminate against, whereas it should be equal for all, I'm just presenting that argument to you. How would you respond to that? Sure. Well, I agree. It should be equal to all. And so we should treat all human beings equally. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we have to treat all choices equally. And the choice to have a same-sex relationship is not the same thing as having a marriage. And so a baker who says, well, I only bake wedding cakes for actual weddings, mm -hmm. um, shouldn't be coerced by the government into violating her beliefs into baking a wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. You know, in America, we have plenty of bakeries that are in favor of gay marriage. We have plenty of florists who are in favor of gay marriage. There's simply no need for the government to coerce every baker and every florist and every photographer into violating their beliefs. We can allow free markets to sort these things out. Yeah, but I guess, you know, the critics would still go back to the fact that you choose what you discriminate against, and, and, and that could lead to a whole bunch of problems going forward. But, you know, in all of this, when you were writing the book, who did you want to read the book that you produced? Oh, sure. I mean, this book is really for all Americans. You know, I wrote this book. LGBT having, should be reading it? Yes, uh, particularly uh, I wrote this book having my old classmates at Princeton in mind, you know, secular liberals who disagree with me about these issues. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted them to read this book. I want... Uh, um, Do you think it will convince them? Uh, I have no idea. I hope so. I've spoken at several of these camps, actually dozens at this point, probably over 100 uh, campuses in the past couple of years, mm -hmm. including Harvard Law School and Yale Law School and Stanford Law School, um, largely secular liberal places. Um, and many of those students have said it was the first time they were hearing a philosophical argument about the nature of marriage, a non-religious argument. Many of them had never heard a non-religious argument about the importance of marriage as the union of a man and a woman. And for people who say they don't care because it doesn't affect them personally, why should they read the book? Why should they care? Well, because they're going to see that it affects everyone. Mm -hmm. um, this is not an issue where no one's going to be kind of undisturbed because how we define marriage impacts how we define the family, which impacts how we define parenthood. Um, this ruling is going to have large consequences in terms of what sort of expectations we place on childbearing and childrearing, what sort of expectations we place on civil society, on religious institutions, on charities, on schools, on businesses. Will we respect their freedom to live out their conscientious beliefs that marriage is the union of a man and a woman or not? 
What will happen to the marriage culture as a whole after several generations of children have been taught that love makes a marriage and that marriage should last only as long as the love lasts? These are the sorts of popular uh, um, uh, ideas that have animated the redefinition of marriage, and they're going to cause consequences for the entire institution. We're already seeing in European countries that redefine marriage and in the states here in the United States that have mm-hmm. redefined marriage, their marriage rates dropped off um, because it says that marriage really isn't that important. It's just about your love life. What's your biggest fear if there was a status quo? I mean, gay marriage is allowed, obviously, um, and the way things are going. What are you scared for our society in the future? Well, I don't think I have any fear or any – it's not a matter of being scared about anything. Um, it's more about a matter of what do I think will be the consequences of bad public policy. Okay. What are the consequences, consequences of bad of, public policy? Consequences of bad public policy are going to be the impact that it has on the nature of marriage itself and on the ability of future generations to form stable marriages and to live out stable give me, marriages. Give me a specific example. What do you think would be the result of bad public policy? Sure. It's very right now. We know that forty percent of all Americans, fifty percent of Hispanics, and over seventy percent of African Americans are born to single mothers. Okay. Same-sex marriage didn't cause that problem. The sexual revolution caused that problem. Fifty years ago, mm-hmm. births to single mothers were in the single digits, and yet today it's forty percent of all Americans, fifty percent of Hispanics, seventy percent of African Americans. Redefining marriage will only make that problem worse. It's very hard to say that fathers are essential when the law has redefined marriage to make fathers optional. But you see, when we the talk about... Be, Go ahead. The law will be teaching that men and women are interchangeable, and therefore mothers and fathers are replaceable. And after a generation, two generations of children are taught this at our public schools mm-hmm. and internalize it, because our law shapes our culture, our culture shapes our beliefs, and then our beliefs shape our actions. And that's what's at risk when the law gets marriage wrong. Okay. But if we are to, how can I put it, use the fact that we talk about statistics as single parents and then we sort of classify them according to race and things like that. But as a society, have we developed negatively? has what is a statistic, because you, you talk about 40-50% divorce rate or single-parent families or whatever, has the society as of today become worse than the society that existed, say, two, three decades ago? Well, it all depends. Uh, in different characteristics, yes and no. In some ways, we've made progress, but in other directions, we've actually had regress. We've actually gone in the wrong direction. Um, talk to the children who are being raised by single mothers and see mm. what they're missing out on. Uh, Talk to the children who never graduate from high school. Talk to the children who end up in jail because they didn't have a father involved in their lives. You know, in the middle of the book, I quote President Obama. And President Obama recites all the statistics about how important fathers are. And then he explains why he cares because he grew up without his father. And then he says how he wishes he would have had a relationship with his father. And then he says that he's trying to be for his girls what his father wasn't. For his mother. Those are powerful statements. Um, those are things that matter. Mm. Um, 
And those would be ways in which we haven't uh, progressed, right? So we've had some regress and we've had some progress. But doesn't every generation have its own challenges? Of course. And the challenges for us right now are to work for a better future for marriage and for religious freedom. I mean, that's what I'm trying to do in this book is to say our current challenge has to do with the nature of the truth, the truth about marriage, the truth about religious freedom. And we have to do what we can to protect those truths. The truth about religious freedom. What's the lie about religious freedom at the moment? Right now it's being redefined uh, by liberals, unfortunately, to mm. be just the freedom to worship. Uh, that r the, the, the free exercise of religion, which is what the founders protected in the First Amendment, was about what you do Monday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. And what we're seeing now, some revisionists are saying, no, no, it's just the freedom to worship. It's freedom inside the four walls of your chapel. But once you enter into the public square, once you enter into Main Street or Wall Street, the government gets to run roughshod over your rights. Give me That's an example. I, I'm not getting what you're saying. I mean, give me an example of where we are not being given religious freedom. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, the most recent example was the Supreme Court case in the Hobby Lobby decision. Uh, so for four years now, the Obama administration was forcing uh, the Han family and the Green family, mm -hmm. uh, evangelical Christians and Mennonite Christians, to pay for drugs that can cause abortions. And they said this violates our belief in the dignity of unborn human life. And they had to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to get the Supreme Court to protect their religious liberty rights. Right now, the Little Sisters of the Poor, an order of Roman Catholic nuns that takes care of the elderly and the dying, mm -hmm. they're being forced to pay for contraception and abortion-causing drugs, even though as nuns, they are opposed to that. And the government, the Obama administration, has said, oh, no, you're free to do whatever you want to do inside of your chapel, but once you step out into the open and you start taking care of elderly sick people, you have to now provide... Uh, cost-free contraception and abortion-causing drugs. The same thing is taking place in the marriage debate. Catholic charity adoption agencies have been forced out of the adoption space because they wanted to find homes for orphans with married moms and dads. And the government said, oh, no, no, that's discrimination. But isn't that just the simple execution of separation of church and state? Well, no, an execution of church and state would leave the church alone. Um, if you were respecting the boundaries here, mm. the government would not be coercing the nuns. When the government is coercing the nuns, the government is violating the separation of church and state. And who else? I mean, and, and, and in terms of the, the book. Oh, in terms of the book, I go through several cases of bakers and florists and photographers. I mm. talk about an evangelical college up in New England, um, Gordon College. I talk about the adoption agencies. I talk about uh, probably over a dozen concrete, specific examples of people who have been penalized by the government simply for acting in accordance with their belief that marriage is the union of a man and a woman. And the reason why is that there are some activists, not all, but some activists mm. on the left who say that if you believe this about marriage, it's the same thing as being a racist, and the government should treat you in the same way that it treats racists. That's the problem, that we are unwilling, some people on the left, the activists, the ideologues, not ordinary Americans. Ordinary Americans want to have a peaceful coexistence. But activists on the left want to make this a winner-take-all battle, and they want to use the coercive power of government to coerce their neighbors who they disagree with. And where can we get the book? 
Uh, the book's on sale right now at Amazon. It's already out in all ebook formats. You mm-hmm. can get the Kindle edition at Amazon. You can get the iBook at the iBook store. You can get the Nook at Barnes and Nobles. I mean, all of the various ebook formats. Uh, print copies won't be out until next month uh, because it actually takes a little while to print the book and find the book and ship them to all of the uh, stores. But you can get the ebook right now. Well, Ryan, thank you for coming on the show. Sure thing. Thank you. All the best for the book. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account, Vip Jaswal, and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswal Report. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead. <laughs>